The Geopolitics and Empire podcast welcomes back Alasdair McLeod, head of research for gold, money, and former stockbroker, banker, and economist. How are things holding up in your corner of the world, Alasdair? So far, so good. Thank you. <laughs> that's 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 good to hear. Um, I, I wanted to get you on because you recently penned a few great pieces that touch on key current events. Uh, and the first article sort of underlies uh, the geopolitical events uh, that are now ongoing in, in Ukraine. Uh, and in the first article that I wanted to discuss, you published in, I think, February uh, 17th, you, you explain how the major central banks are insolvent with balance sheet liabilities now exceeding their assets. And you looked at the Bank of England, uh, the Federal Reserve Board, the Bank of Japan, and the entire euro system. And this has also been, I think, a theme in your research, but it seems we're steadily getting closer to the end game. So maybe to start, could you tell us about the insolvency of this, these banks and what it portends for the world? Yeah, um, I mean, this has happened really as a result of quantitative easing. Uh, the major central banks have accumulated portfolios of bonds. And uh, those portfolios uh, obviously, you know, change in value. They're, they're not necessarily reflected on the balance sheets of uh, central banks. I mean, for example, the Fed would hold on to its US treasuries and its agency debt until maturity. The Bank of England very cleverly got a carve-out from the uh, UK Treasury Ministry um, uh, saying that, um, okay, we will um, uh, do QE, um, but on the basis that um, uh, you underwrite any losses that may arrive and profits we will pass on to the Treasury. So the bank is, if you like, in a neutral position in terms of profits and losses. And on the Bank of England's balance sheet, uh, there is a special purpose vehicle in which all the uh, UK gilts are held. Um, and that is reflected as a loan to the special purpose vehicle. So you don't see any change in the value. So if you just looked at the, at the Bank of England's balance sheet, you'd think, well, this is a perfectly normal balance sheet. It's, you know, what's to worry? But you've got to, you know, you dig down a little bit, you see something there which um, isn't quite the same. So that's not too much of a problem. Now, I would say that both in the case of the Fed and also in the case of um, the Bank of England, if they needed uh, to have money injected by the US Treasury and the UK Treasury, then it would be a cause of embarrassment for the central banks. Of that, there is no doubt. Um, it may be a bit more than that, but basically we'll just assume that that is as far as that goes. Um, the ECB, however, is in a very different position because um, its shareholders are the national central banks within the euro system. So you need to look at um, not just th uh, the ECB's balance sheet, uh, but the whole euro system balance sheet. In other words, the balance sheets of all the individual shareholders in the ECB as well. Now, this is absolutely fine, so long as bond prices don't fall. But unfortunately, with um, inflation proving to be less than transient and a bit more sticky than we <laughs> than uh, was originally uh, thought, um, the fact of the matter is that bond yields have risen, therefore bond prices have fallen. So these are throwing up losses on the balance sheets. Now, before this Ukraine problem, which has lowered bond yields a bit, not hugely, but a bit. Um, I calculated the effect on uh, the various central banks. I found them all in negative equity. 
um, that's the Fed, the um, ECB, the Bank of Japan, and the Bank of England. Um, the ECB has a huge, great problem, and that is that it hasn't got a government to bail it out. Uh, the only people who can bail it out are its existing shareholders. And they've got the prop same exactly the same problem. So you've got this circularity, which basically means that the whole system is effectively insolvent. Now, this might not matter if, let us say, the prospect for interest rates were for them to not rise any further and for bond yields, again, not to rise with them. But given all the... Um, uh, expansion of currency, the debasement of currencies, and we're talking all the major currencies, and let's stick to the ECB for the moment, because that's actually the one which is most relevant. Um, the um, expansion of the quantity of EC, of uh, euros in, in, in existence has been substantial, and it is that that is undermining um, its purchasing power uh, in terms of producer prices, commodity inputs, and it's working its way through to consumer prices. So we have a situation where not, um, I mean, the, the, all the monetary expansion that we've seen in uh, recent years hasn't fed through yet into consumer prices. There is more to come. So quite clearly with um, interest rates very sharply negative, and there's another problem on this, incidentally, which I'll come to in a second. With interest rates very sharply negative, they should be a lot higher than where they are. So the market is beginning to bring, bring a bit of pressure on uh, bond yields within the euro system. So you're beginning to see those yields rise, which means that the losses within the euro system central banking network are increasing. We do have another problem with, as far as the uh, uh, euro system is concerned, and that is unlike uh, other uh, currency systems, there's been a growing reliance on the use of the repo market for um, commercial banks. And um, one of the um, uh, benefits as far as the commercial banks are concerned is that if you've got a non-performing loan, and this was particularly true in Italy, a bank has non-performing loans. As far as the regulator is concerned, the regulator looks at it and has no option but to say this is a non-performing loan. But if the regulator can turn around and say, um, we'll just turn a blind eye and we will say that um, so far as we're aware, um, this is a performing loan, then what you can do is you can take it away from my um, jurisdiction by using it as collateral in a repo with the Banca d'Italia. So basically what happens is that um, uh, you, know, you, you, you push out the, the rubbish uh, collateral into the Banca d'Italia, the Italian central bank, and uh, you get uh, cash. Uh, what's the interest cost? Zero. So you can see why this has expanded. And it really first started with the Greek bailout. I mean, basically, you know, the only way they could bail out Greece was to assume that there were no problems. So what do you do? You hide them in the target two system. And that's basically uh, one of the reasons why the target two imbalances have grown so, so great. Um, and on that, incidentally, the um, uh, Bundesbank is owed about 1.2 trillion euros. So you can see that 
this is a very serious imbalance um, and uh, a problem to be added, if you like, to uh, the uh, Bundesbank's balance sheet uh, in terms of um, uh, a non-performing asset because it's owed, you know, it's it's, it's owed by the Target Two system into the Bundesbank. So that's an asset on its balance sheet, which is effectively worthless, and also it's got loaded up with bonds whose prices are um, uh, falling. So you know, I mean, the whole thing is a most appalling mess. So that is the situation. So it is a situation which is yet to be uncovered in the markets. Right. As, as you have been um, detailing for a long time, this cannot go on uh, forever and it's going to it's going to end up in a, a crack up boom. And you just to get your thought on gold and silver, which hasn't really been moving much. Um, but I guess when this moment comes, they will move. Do you reckon, you know, when when we start to see the geopolitical and financial fireworks, yeah. precious, precious metals will then begin to to move? Yeah, I mean, this this is an interesting point because everybody assumes um, because, they, you know, I mean, we're used to sort of bull markets and bear markets. And we assume that uh, quite naturally that what will happen to the gold price uh, because of monetary policy or whatever, the gold price will rise. And we look at our charts and we say that it's just broken out of a consolidating triangle and it's got the potential to run up to 2000 or whatever. And we, you know, we make up all these numbers and. Um, it's all sort of rather like looking at the entrails of a chicken. Um, but we and we assume that uh, you know this is a normal bull market progression and it's a bull market that will last for what I mean a year, 18 months, two years, whatever. you know so everybody's got opinions. But where this is entirely wrong is it uh, there is you know nobody assumes that there is going to be a crisis because, it is the crisis which periodically happens. And the crisis, the whole of this sort of idea of cycles actually goes back to a bank credit cycle. It's a cycle of behavior of banks when it comes to their loan policies. And basically, they just get overextended to the point where every 10 years, give or take a year or two, they go bust. <laughs> and that's basically, you know, I mean, the last one was, was Lehman, which was 2008, August 2008. So we're we are overdue the next one, and you can see that everything that's happened since Lehman has been feeding into a situation where banks are highly geared and uh, highly leveraged, and uh, you know it's going to happen again. And particularly with, uh, I mean, the most highly leveraged uh, banking system of commercial banks uh, is actually the eurozone. Uh, we're looking at some banks with um, uh, total assets to balance sheet equity. In the region of 30 times. I mean, th this is unheard of. I mean, a, a bank was overexposed in the past when it was, say, 10 or 11 times equity, assets to equity. Here we've got 30 times. And the reason this comes about is because of Basel regulations in the main, um, because Basel regulations very conveniently say that um, uh, um, government debt is risk-free. <laughs> you know, Really? Um, so they can load this stuff on their balance sheet and not have to take any um, uh, haircut on it whatsoever. And, and, you know, the situation has just become basically very, very unstable. So all we need is just some little puff of wind to just push the whole thing over. 
And so you forget about the idea that you're going to have an orderly upward progression of gold and silver prices or equities or whatever it might be. It's not going to be orderly at all. And I think it's all going to come out of a shock. And we're beginning to see this from uh, the financial war that has developed between Russia and the West, the West basically being uh, America and its NATO partners um, and other non-NATO members of the um, European Union. A message from our sponsors. The Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. For example, if you go to your barber for a 30-minute haircut, your barber receives 30 minutes in his time bank. He can then use that time to pay for an appointment with the doctor. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in both English and Spanish. Hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's borderless health insurance. One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad healthcare and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. Geopolitics and Empire needs funding. You can leave a donation, book a consultation, or become a member, which gets you access to my brief weekly commentary, a monthly newsletter of my thoughts, a private telegram, a monthly members group call, and my second premium broadcast called Dissident Thinker, where I conduct interviews and provide solo analysis. Dissident Thinker is also available on Rockfin and for supporters on Locals. Yeah, that, that seems to be the wind that, that, that's coming uh, now. And I, I also really love your geopolitical uh, analysis. I see eye to eye with it. And uh, your second piece, which you wrote about uh, Ukraine, and you published a, a, another piece uh, just this, today. Um, and in that piece, you talk about how Ukraine fits into the global jigsaw, and you do a deep dive on geopolitics, summoning the ghost of Halford Mackinder. You detail how Russia and China the world island they're coming into being and how the united states is losing its position in eurasia uh, american policy with respect to the eurasian landmass has failed uh, you right and that putin has has america on the run and will want to capitalize on its uh, retreat um and what else did you write here you said that he sees it as the time for a winning move which is why he has moved on ukraine although today you write that uh, things aren't looking so rosy for for Vladimir yeah. at, at the moment. But, you know, could you tell us a bit about your view on the rise of the world island uh, and Eurasia and then, you know, how they're pushing Europe and, and the U.S. out? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the whole sort of concept of the world island was um, uh, derived by uh, an article which was written by um, a Brit called Halford Mackinder. And he presented it to the Royal Geographic Society, I think, in 2009, no, um, 1903, 1904, something like that. I mean, so we're talking about 120 years ago, roughly. Um, he then wrote a further paper after the First World War, um, if you like, sort of refining the theory. And basically what it was, was um, he reckoned that whoever ran what we would call, in rough terms, um, uh, Eastern Europe uh, would control the world island, the world island being the Eurasian continent, really from, um, you know, Spain on one end to um, 
the Bering Strait on the other end. Uh, and um, everything would be determined by the control of the world island. And uh, we can see that this is, has, in effect, happened because uh, China in particular, um, uh, along with Russia in partnership, set up something called the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which originally was a, a security-based uh, uh, operation to, uh, swatch, to swap intelligence in order to control um, basically Islamic terrorism. They didn't want what was happening in the Middle East to go into, um, you know, the sort of Central Asia, uh, if you like, amongst the Turkic people. So uh, that was the start of it. And of course, that then became more uh, an economic cooperation organization. And now it, it, it embraces half the world's population. And the amazing thing is that most of us in the West haven't even heard of it. But so you have, it's a loose federation. It's a loose federation. It's not like the European Union, where they're trying to sort of um, you know, set up a separate umbrella government and all the rest of it. It's a loose federation, basically managed by two very, very powerful players. Um, and they've even brought in, so, you know, to confirm Halford McKinder's point, they've even brought in basically the whole of sub-Saharan Africa. And I discovered back in 2014, um, you know, which is now, what, seven, eight years ago, uh, um, that um, Arab holders of um, LBMA 400-ounce bars were sending them into the Swiss refineries to get them recast, not to be sold, but to get them recast to the Chinese one kilo, four nine standard. Why? You know, these are guys um, in the Middle East who are beginning to see as long ago as 2014, which way the geopolitical winds were blowing. So we can say from that moment, um, you know, we can now include uh, the Middle East, if you like, in this huge, great sort of power block. Um, and just, then, course, just, 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 just to add to yeah. that, the news today from the Middle East, uh, Mohammed bin Salman of the Saudi Arabia, it was just announced that he's now considering uh, spending less money uh, in the US, like divesting funds from the US and I guess pushing it towards Eurasia. So that just kind of confirms what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's absolutely right. And of course, this um, uh, digressing a bit from this. I mean, I think I've said enough about the world island for people to get the idea. Um, but this, I think, has been of great concern to America because uh, America really wants to um, attract the lion's share of global investment funds. What it did not want to see were these funds going into China. And um, as far as the Chinese intelligence services were concerned, we had this. I mean, you know, you can find the stuff on the Internet. Um, they reckoned, uh, I mean, their intelligence was that the Americans were in there actively um, uh, trying to destabilize Hong Kong back in 2014 to begin to disrupt uh, this investment link between Hong Kong into uh, into China. Um, so, I mean, this geopolitical game is something that really has been going on for a little while now. And um, uh, the purpose of the article that I wrote, uh, well, sort of, it was last week, actually, uh, was basically to, you know, bring this back into people's attention to understand what's going on. Um, and uh, realize that, that this is actually in the very near future going to become a lot more important to us. And um, I've always felt that um, the idea that 
this leads to World War Three, um, you know, with boots on the ground or missiles flying and all the rest of it between, say, America and its NATO par partners and on the one side and Russia and China on the other. To me, that was um, unlikely. I mean, the way this is being played out is purely financial. That is the key, I think, to it. We're, we're in World War Three is a financial war. Um, that's that I think is the point. Um, and in terms of where this is lined up, um, over the last, uh, well, really since 1983, China has been uh, quietly accumulating gold in various accounts, uh, which are not held as reserves um, uh, managed by the People's Bank of China, uh, but are in separate accounts. And I calculated that back uh, by 2002, uh, that China had probably accumulated as much as 20,000 tons of gold by this manner. Uh, and um, uh, 2002 is important because at that time, presumably China felt that she had accumulated enough gold. Uh, she opened the Shanghai Gold Exchange and then, only then, allowed individuals to acquire gold themselves. And not only did they allow individuals to acquire gold, they actually advertised in, in the media, television adverts and all the rest of it, and billboards, you know, gold, you know, buy gold jewelry, you know, gold, the investment of the future, whatever. <laughs> so, um, and you may be interested to know that in Chinese, the word for gold is the same as the word for money. That is the origin of it. So, um, and that actually, even to this day, money is gold. And um, this is very important because uh, America, since 1971, has been trying to convince us all that gold is not money and that the dollar as a currency is a worthy replacement for gold. And um, gold is a pet rock, you know, whatever <laughs> they like to call it. Um, so you can see that in terms of where this is lining up, China and Russia have the gold. The West doesn't. Now, Europe, I think, is lucky because um, after the last war, Germany um, accumulated uh, significant gold holdings, uh, which it tried to get back out of the, the uh, uh, New York Fed with um, eventual success on, on just getting some of it out. They've still got a lot over there, which may or may not exist. I mean, this is a problem because uh, there's so much funny accounting going on, never audited, nothing like that. Um, you get stories like, um, you know, when Gaddafi was um, uh, assassinated, um, you know, the gold disappeared from Libya and it was hijacked over to America. Now, I don't know if this is true, but, I, you know, there's a story that you hear time and time again through sort of rather shady, um, you know, intelligence sources or, um, you know, sort of, if you like, non-mainstream media. So trouble is we can't believe anything in this. But one thing we do know. Um, quite simply, is that gold has been accumulated by, you know, on the world island, and it has not been accumulated on those outside the world island. And that sets the scene, I think, for what's likely to happen to currencies in, I guess, even the next few months. And uh, I think your next question might lead us into, into that. Well, yeah, and just to comment, um, there, we did have the declassified email from the State Department uh, that was sent to Hillary Clinton, where it specifically mentioned uh, the Libyan gold and, and silver. So they mentioned like billions in, in, in gold and silver and oil. As you said, we don't know what happened to it. Um, 
And right, I had the question about, and, and I, we've talked about this in the past, how Russia and China have been accumulating gold. And I think I read recently that the Russian government is making a new proposal to uh, not tax gold or something for Russian citizens who want to buy gold. And so now the West is sanctioning Russian banks. They're trying to make uh, Bitcoin um, illegal uh, so to kind of close off that avenue for the Russians. Um, talking about cutting off from Swift and all of this stuff. Meanwhile, we're here we're hearing talk about the the chips system, right? The cross-border payment system that that China and Russia have developed and you're talking about gold as well. So, um I kind of feel that Putin uh would he seems confident. He, he, Russia seems like the kind of actor that if they're going to do something like what they did in Ukraine, that they've got the backing of China, that they're confident, you know, he's not just going to go on a, on a whim do what he did in Ukraine. So it feels like they've got some aces up their sleeve that they're yet, yet they're going to be surprising us with. And so we're, we're, how do you think things are going to develop that if they, they are cut off from the West? I mean, they've got their own cross-border system. They might, as you say, pull out this new gold-based system. What, what are your thoughts where things go from here? Okay. Um, as far as the Ukraine is concerned, um, Putin has made a huge error. Of that, there is no doubt. Um, it's one thing to... Uh, walk in and take over a country militarily, but then it's another thing to keep it. I mean, unless you can get the agreement, um, the concurrence of of uh, um, you know the people who live there, then you know it's you're not going to keep it. It's just I mean he's repeating the mistake that Brezhnev made with Afghanistan, America made with Afghanistan. Um, you know. You don't go into somewhere which you can't, you know, where the the, the locals just don't want you because you've then got a, a, a continual guerrilla warfare, which eventually will drive you out. And um, he's made a big, big mistake doing this. And his troops, I mean, I think he's got bad generals, he's got bad log logistics, and the troops are now there. I mean, you know, sort of people in the tanks, and they're beginning to sort of... Uh, think i mean they must be thinking um you know why are we killing our you know our fellow russians and fellow slavs i mean this is just you know what are we doing here sort of thing and um on the other side of course uh, zelensky has turned out to be a brilliant brilliant um uh, um leader uh, in a crisis um, you know, he's actually rallied people around him and he's out on the streets himself, unlike Putin, who's sitting in his, you know, lovely palace back in Moscow. So you can see the contrasts, if you like, which basically is are working very badly against Putin. Now, this makes him more desperate. I think that's the first thing I would say. Um, meanwhile, what the West have done is they've effectively made their uh, paper currencies completely worthless in Russia. So why should they have them? <laughs> I mean, you know, so the, you've got the Russian central bank sitting there with um, something like, I, you know, I don't know exact numbers, um, but it's something like, you know, $500 billion equivalent in mainly in euros, um, some Chinese yuan and um, also um, some dollars and a whole pile of gold. Um, you know, guess what's done well? Gold. It's no one's. There's no counterparty. No one's counterparty risk. You know, so there's real money. The rest of it is just currency, and that currency now is completely worthless. So this, I think, is going to inform Russia going forward. Now there is another thing that we should know, which we are not being um, told at all, and that is that um, 
okay, you've got, uh, it's a kleptocracy, you've got, you know, people who sort of, you know, rather like the, the mafia in America in the early days, you know, <laughs> presumably they, they, you know, they, they have, they're running protection rackets and all the, the other stuff and, you know, horrid, horrid, horrid. But at its base, you have a government whose debts to GDP is only 20%. Someone told me the exact figure was 18%. 20%. What's it in America? 133%. You have got an income tax rate of only 13%. It's a flat tax at 13%. What's it in America? And you've got to add the individual states as well. I mean, you know, this is very different. You have got um, massive export surpluses uh, from um uh, you know, oil, gas, um, and all those sort of, you know, metals and everything else, a lot of which go to China. Um, so they're not dependent on the West. Um, the economy is, if you like, a, a libertarian's dream. I mean, it really is. If you look at those numbers, this is what libertarians really believe in. Okay. And, and with very good reason. Meanwhile, the West is actually in a hell of a great mess. Um, and, uh, you know, the government debt is way up there. Um, and uh, you look at countries like Italy, France, um, even the UK, the state is more than 50% of the economy. Now, come on, this is, you know, these, they're in bust territory uh, by any definition. And we think that we can actually break uh, the Russian economy by denying them our paper currencies. I mean, you know, there is something very, very wrong in central bank and political thinking uh, in, in this. We now come to the important thing. Of course, uh, Germany has got very close ties into Russia, business ties I'm talking about. Um, that's why you had the Nord Stream, uh, the original Nord Stream, and Nord Stream 2 is planned, etc. And Gerhard Schroeder was on the board, and it was all ratified by Angela Merkel. And, you know, um, there are huge, huge interests from the European Union going into, um, into, into not just Russia, but also into China. I mean, you know, the end of the Silk Road is basically a railway station in Germany. So, um, you know, this, they've got very, very big interests in this. So we now have a situation where those businesses, um, all that activity is now deemed to be completely worthless by the regulators. So, we're talking about a situation where the central bank, the ECB, and the euro system of the national central banks are not only bust, but they are not in a position to rescue uh, any problems that may arise within the commercial banking network. I mean, it just seems to me that um, the unintended consequence of all this will be for the euro system to fall over and the euro effectively to become worthless. Now, initially, what will happen is that um, the other um, central banks will turn around and say, well, you know, it's all Putin's fault. He did this. Well, yeah. Um, and they will then turn around and say, well, of course, there were special factors for the ECB, you know, but which, which don't apply to us. But then you've got the general public who are going to be saying, oh, hold on a minute, what's going on here? You know, should we, uh, is it a good idea to have our money in the banks um, 
we see that gold is going up. I mean, Bitcoin may be going up. I, I don't know. I'm not going to comment about that. But, um, you know, I think we're seeing a situation where if you get a major currency like the euro, actually going through the sort of crisis I've just described, um, with the banks falling over, remember, you've got all these problems and payment interruptions and so on and so forth. It's the Herstadt factor. I mean, Herstadt was a bank that went bust in 74. It was a relatively minor German bank, which just happened to do a lot of business in the foreign exchange markets. When that failed to make payments, it nearly um, upset the complete European banking system and also the system in New York. So, you know, I mean, we've got Herstadt. Multiple, 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 multiple. It's very hard to see how we're not going to have a crisis in the Eurozone. And if you get a crisis in the Eurozone, you've got a crisis everywhere else. It's as simple as that. So it's only a matter of time and very short time before I think the other currencies begin to, um, uh, you know, people begin to lose confidence in, in them as well. And here, the economists have got really no clue. I mean, the, the, the Keynesians are all in sort of in some sort of macro belief um, uh, mode. The monetarists um, believe that there's a mathematical relationship between the quantity of money and its purchasing power. That is only one relationship. The real relationship is the degree in which a money or a currency is accepted by the general public. If the general public won't accept it, then it's completely useless. And that is the point. That's where we're going with this. So when you ask what price gold, I think you should ask what price paper currencies. I mean, gold will go up in terms of its own purchasing power because it will be demanded. Um, but um, the real effect is going to be the collapse in the purchasing power of the paper currencies. And it's going to start with the euro, in my view. But, and I cannot, for the life of me, see how that can be avoided. Yeah, uh, and your thesis is reasonable that this will not escalate uh, militarily, that this is going to take place, as you said, in the virtual uh, battleground, the, the financial. And it reminds me a lot, if I recall correctly, the Great Depression, 1929, which really started with the failure, I believe, of banks uh, in Austria and then spread to the rest of the world, to the West. And it seems like we're in this situation again, that this could detonate like what's happening in yeah. Ukraine. Can, and sorry, can I can I interrupt? The, the, the sequence was actually a bit different because the the credit Anstalt collapse, which you're referring to, I believe, was actually 1931. Um, the banking crisis in America started before that. It started in the wake of the Wall Street crash uh, when collateral values held by the banks as collateral against loans, started to become worth less than the loans outstanding. So the banks were selling collateral into a falling market, which you know, made the situation uh, worse. It compounded the situation. But the credit, you're right to point out the credit Anstalt situation, because that was, you know, it was um, an Austrian bank, which was the result of um, a merger. I think there's a, an, an Austrian Rothschild uh, entity involved with it. Um, another bank was put in and, you know, uh, the the run on it actually started, I think, from French uh, banks, which had an interest in, the, in, in this. Um, they decided to sell out. The bank collapsed. And then suddenly it's boom, 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 boom. It's like dominoes. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was a minor event compared with what I'm describing. Um, and I, I just make a point about this, this, this uh, situation on SWIFT. I mean, you know, saying that we're going to close off SWIFT and all the rest of it. Um, 
It's actually far worse than that because Swift itself doesn't matter. I mean, I can I can do the equivalent of a Swift with you. I can say, you know, I've I've agreed to lend you a million dollars. I can then send you an email saying, if you look in your bank account, you will now see that it has got a credit of a million dollars. So the transactions happened over an email, okay? You don't need SWIFT in that sense. SWIFT is actually a convenience. The problem is not that. The problem is that every compliance officer in every bank will now be going through the beneficial ownership of every account which they suspect might have a Russian interest. And any payment that comes in, which they suspect might come from a Russian interest, they will also examine. And under these circumstances, even if the payments are to do with oil and gas settlements, on the margin, they will turn around and say, you know, if there's just the slightest doubt in this, they will say, no, we will refuse it. That is where it, that is where the problem is going to be. It is it is in the regulations rather than the settlement system, and I think that's a point which actually should be made clear. One of my last questions is um, also where this might go, where the powers that be are seemingly also try to possibly take it down one road or avenue. Is there's all this talk of cyber attacks, cyber pandemics, um, and digital currencies, you know, central bank, digital currencies, cashless society. I think in the past you've said that you're not confident they'll, they would be able to create this cashless society because the system will collapse before they can implement the CBDC. But nevertheless, it seems, seems many countries, Russia, you know, included China, even here in Mexico, they said in, in two years, we're going to have a, the digital Mexican peso CBDC. And so my greatest fear is that they lead us down this path where we, we get into this cashless society with QR code, digital passports, and it's like a totalitarian social credit system. What's your take on them trying to take us down this route? Well, uh, um, my view hasn't changed. And that is that in order to introduce a central bank digital currency, um, there has to be multiple testing. There has to be agreement uh, in every nation considering doing this, the scope of it. Um, and uh, if you look in America, for example, I mean, they would have to pass uh, uh, legislation in order to enable it. Now, you've got a problem there because actually what central bank digital currency does is it takes business away from the commercial banks. Who pays all the politicians' electioneering expenses? The commercial banks. Are the commercial banks going to pay the election? you know, the election expenses of senators and congressmen who vote in favour of a central bank digital currency? I think not. So you can see that there are all sorts of problems uh, with the, the whole concept. It would take time to introduce. We don't have time. That's the point I've been trying to make. This crisis is coming upon us very, very rapidly. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like standing in a zebra crossing thinking, I've got time to walk over the road and there's a bloody great bus coming along and it's going to run me over. I can continue to walk. It's my right of way and I can see the other side of the road. And then the bus goes bang. You know, where are my rights? <laughs> that, I think, really is, is, is the situation. We have a crisis now. This is not something which we can, you know, plan for two or three, four years ahead and sort of introduce and... Uh, you know, get the public behind us and no, forget it. This is not going to happen. 
in in terms of preparing you know i i personally feel less confident holding crypto or bitcoin given everything that's going on i feel more confident holding things that are physical like a gold silver guns and perhaps a garden um do you have any uh other topic you wanted to bring up or any final thoughts for us well <laughs> i mean I the, the only thing I I really can say I mean I think I've I've probably frightened your viewers enough um but the only thing I can really say is for goodness sake get some protection don't have everything in the fiat system and by the fiat system I don't just mean bank balances I don't mean physical peso notes or dollar notes or whatever it might be I mean also um uh investments because they're all tied to fiat even investments in gold and silver mines are priced in fiat now i don't know whether if fiat completely disappears they will have a value i think you'd be a lot safer having uh, uh, investments in mines than in in virtually every other um uh, fiat denominated financial asset um have real things um but really you've got to think in terms of if you make something in order to buy something you need that money in the middle to do the transaction when fiat goes what are you going to use for that because you know okay we may not be sort of thinking in terms of um you know um being able to go out and buy things but if you've got you know if it's down to bartering or something like that because you've got nothing else then you have got a huge problem and your family's got a huge problem and your community has got a huge problem so i think we need to spread you know a bit of gold and silver coin ownership um and um you know what we do at gold money is we we um act as custodians for um uh, uh our customers who have gold and silver um stored with us in locations around the world so you know that if you like is a sort of deep storage of 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 real wealth um hoarding if you like beyond uh the grasp of your government um and uh um that you know i think i th i think i would encourage people to sort of think in terms of is that something you should really be doing these are all personal decisions um but i really do um hope that anyone who watches this video actually takes this point very very seriously yeah with gold money you can choose vaults in canada switzerland hong kong singapore i forget um as well you know you should have it diversified in foreign locations local locations even some i've got mexican friends here where they got chickens you know those are also good in physical yeah. assets chickens yeah. eggs uh yeah. avo avocado trees uh you yeah. know you, you name it um All right. It's going to be that. It's going to be that basic. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, you know, look. I hope this doesn't happen. I mean, but it. You know, almost every day I wake up, we're getting closer and closer to that point. Um, I actually think that what will happen is that um, there will come a point where the slide in the purchasing power of currencies gets to the point where the central banks um, throw in the towel, the politicians throw in the towel. the Keynesians throw in the towel the security services uh, you know in Langley you know who suddenly realized well the dollar isn't top dog anymore so you know we've got to throw in the towel there will come a point where they turn dollars where they turn pesos where they turn pounds where they turn i mean euros i think have gone that's that's gone where they turn these currencies into um gold substitutes in other words 
um, you know, you'll be able to, they probably won't do it as well as this, but you should be able to walk into a bank with a thousand peso note or whatever and say, I want a gold coin for this. Um, and um, that is a proper gold coin standard. That is, if you like, the, the real gold standard uh, of, of money, where the substitutes are actually properly backed. Um, <clears throat> where it's going to be with dollars, I don't know. I think dollars will go down to the point where we could be looking at anything between fifty dollars and $250,000 uh, for an ounce of gold. But bear in mind, we're not talking about gold up. We're talking about gold, you know, the dollar going down. That's that is the key which everybody's got to understand in this. And so far, I find that people find it difficult to understand because they think as investors, they actually think I'm going to buy gold at what are we now, 1920 or something. And I hope to sell it at 2300. Come on, you're in the wrong game. This is not what it is about. <laughs> yeah, and, and speaking yeah. of frightening my my listeners, no, we're, we're we are well versed on how bad things can get. And for me, actually, your scenario is optimistic that things crash and we go back to gold and silver. I fear more going to this digital uh, dictatorship. But uh, in any case, it's always great to get an update from Alistair McLeod. You can follow him on on Twitter and visit goldmoney.com. Uh, the links will be in the description. And stay safe out there and. In Europe, Alice there, and thank you for being back on Geopolitics and Empire. Thank you. It's very much my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned Geopolitics and Empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help Geopolitics and Empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.